0: Thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord. Thank you. That your eyes are always upon you. The thoughts of your mind is always towards us. Oh, Father, help us to rest secure in your love and your care for us. And to lift our eyes up and keep our eyes fixed on Christ Jesus. To think thoughts that are above So that we will know your plan and your purpose for us. And walk in those plans, O Lord. Because those plans are good. They are perfect. And they will have an effect in our lives, not only now, all of eternity, Lord. So by faith, we bring our mind, our thoughts back to you. And we surrender ourselves into their hands, O Lord. Speak to us, Spirit of God. Teach us. Continue to teach us. And empower us, O Lord to walk in your teachings. Speak, Father, for in Jesus' name we pray. Amen, 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 amen. amen. We'll go back to the gospel, the simplicity of the gospel. And remember, the God who called us, the God who blessed us, the God who empowers us, in Luke 19 and verse 13 also says, Occupy till he comes. So we don't know when he's coming. But we know he is coming. We know he will definitely, definitely come. And we've been looking at why the Spirit is given to teach us, to guide us, to comfort us, to empower us, and also to occupy in his name. So Luke 19.13 says he called his ten servants, ten, okay, his number, servants. And he gave them what they needed. To occupy. He will not tell us to occupy without empowering us to occupy, without gifting us to occupy, without telling us what we need to occupy. And we saw past few days, we saw how we occupy in praise, how we occupy in prayer. Today we will look at another parable of his because Jesus is the master of parables. So we will turn to Matthew 21 and we'll read from 28 to 32. But what do you think? A man had two sons, and he came to the first and said, Son, go, work today in my vineyard. He answered and said, I will not. But afterward he regretted it and went. Then he came to the second and said, likewise, and he answered and said, I go, sir, but he did not go. Which of the two did the will of his father? They said to him, The first. And Jesus said to them, Assuredly, I say to you, that the tax collectors and harlots enter the kingdom of God before you. For John came to you in the way of righteousness. You did not believe him, but tax collectors and harlots believed him. And when you saw it, you did not afterward relent and believe him. Okay? So we have a commission from our our father, Occupy Till I come so if you go to verse 28 there is a father with two sons okay then that doesn't mean that god has only two sons okay <laughs> but it's representative of two kinds of sons god has and to both the sons he will tell today when you hear the voice of the lord do not harden your heart so he comes and says work Today, in my vineyard. Okay. Work today. Go work in my vineyard. Okay. So we are called to praise. We are called to pray. We are called to work. God's vineyard. Isaiah 50. Isaiah 5, sorry, not 55. 5, 1 and 2, and Luke 13, 6 and 7. Now let me sing to my beloved, well beloved, a song of my beloved regarding his vineyard. My well beloved has a vineyard on a very fruitful hill. He dug it up, cleared out its stones, he planted it with his choicest wine, he built a tower in its midst and also made a wine press in it, so he expected it to bring forth good grapes, but it brought forth wild grapes. So God talks about his vineyard. In the Old Covenant. In Luke 13, 6 and 7, again he talks about a vineyard. He also spoke this parable. A certain man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard and he came seeking fruit on it and found none. Then he said to the keeper of this vineyard, of his vineyard, look for three years I have come seeking fruit on this fig tree and find none. Cut it down. Why does it use up the ground? And he answered and said to him, Sir, let it alone this year also, until I dig around it and fertilize. If it bears fruit, well, but if it not, after that you can cut it down. So God talks about his vineyard. The vineyard is a place where you and I do not remain idle. It is a place where we bear fruit for God. We are called to bear fruit for God. Okay, a purposeful life, a life of God's purpose, and God says, occupy. In that vineyard, we have, we are called to work. The son is called to work, and he's, and we work, and when we work, and how we work, falls in three categories, all in one. In 1st Thessalonians chapter 1 and verse 3, this is what Paul says. I remember without ceasing your work of faith, your labor of love, and patience of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ in the sight of our God and Father. All three. There is a work of faith, and there is a labor of love. When faith ceases, love still continues. And you work in patience, the hope of your patience, or the patience you hope until He comes. Until he comes, until it is over and he says it's over, he steps down, okay, till that. So this is how. And the ultimate reward, of course, is you hear, well done. Now let's go back to the parable, Matthew 21, 28, 32. A man had two sons. So remember, the instruction of the father is given to sons. It's not given to others. To work in the vineyard is only given to sons. John 1 and verse 12 and 13. Only those who have received Jesus Christ have the right to be called the sons of God. Okay, it's gone. Okay, John 1 and verse 12. small phone, okay? But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become the children of God, to those who believe in his name. Actually, one twelve is enough, okay? So, please remember, we are not called to work first. We are not called to work first. We are called first to become sons first. Okay? Everybody who works is not a son, but everyone who is a son is called to work. Work does not make you a son. Just because we may have a worldwide famous ministry that does not make us a son. Okay, does not make a son. But every son is works. Okay. And every son before he works is also told something in Acts chapter 1 and verse 8. It's told something. You shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. Okay, you need power. You're not just called to work. Your work also should be a witness. Okay? Because everybody works, but everybody's work is not the witness of the life of God. Life of God. We are not just called to work. Our work is different. When Jesus worked, Jesus said, I and my Father are at work from the beginning and I'm still working. But His entire work was a witness of His Father's life. Okay, entire work was a witness of his father's life. So God says, you are my son and you need my power, power of my Holy Spirit. And he says, please remember, I send only sons to work. I only call my sons and I tell my sons to work. In Acts chapter 19 verses 13 to 16, you see seven guys who were not sons trying to do the work of the sons. What happens when you try to do the work of the sons? Some of the itinerant Jewish exorcists took upon themselves to call the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits. Say, we exercise you, you by Jesus whom Paul preaches. Also, there were seven sons of Skiva, a chief Jewish priest who did so. And the evil spirit answered and said, Jesus I know, Paul I know, but who are you? Meaning the evil spirits knows who are sons and who are not sons. And the man in whom the evil spirit was leaped upon them, overpowered them, prevailed against them. So they fled out of the house naked and wounded. Okay? So God says, before you step into my vineyard, when you step into my vineyard, remember you are going to face powers of darkness. That's why the first thing he says, Receive power. The second thing he says, You shall cast out demons in my name. Okay, one of the first signs. Because the new covenant ministry is entirely different from the old covenant ministry. The new covenant ministry, because the kingdom of God has come. Remember he says, If you see the demons being cast out, remember it is the finger of God, the kingdom of God has come. Okay, the new covenant New covenant ministry is completely different from the old covenant ministry. The new covenant ministry is we are establishing the kingdom of God. That's our prayer. Thy will be done, thy kingdom come. And you cannot, because the new covenant ministry is a spiritual battle. That's why he says, no, the kingdom of God advances with violence. That violence is not seen on flesh and blood. It is seen by the deliverance of the flesh and blood from powers of darkness. Powers of darkness. Flesh and blood is being continuously delivered from oppression, from the powers of darkness. And Jesus inaugurated it. You will see, John did not. Even the greatest in the Old Covenant and he has his incredible ministry of preparing the way for Jesus Christ couldn't do that. Because that's not part of his ministry. He only could prepare the way for Jesus Christ. But when Jesus steps and his disciples steps forward, you will see the work in the vineyard is a war, a battle against powers of darkness. And that is only for sons. Sons who are born again of the Spirit and sons who are empowered by the Spirit. So there is an entire set of people within the Kingdom of God who are sons, born of the Spirit, but they will stay out of it. Because they don't believe in the second part of it, the empowering of the Holy Spirit. They don't believe. They believe it as a doctrine, but in practicality, in reality, they don't. So they don't get into this casting out demons at all. So that's half a half a ministry. It is like calling Lazarus out of the grave and leaving him bound in grave clothes. Is he alive? Yes. Is he walking? Stumbling around. Okay? So you have seven sons of Skiva who are not sons, who do not have the power, who tries to work in the father's vineyard and knocks them out. Okay? So, it is sonship that makes you part of God's family. And sons are sent out. Okay? Sons are sent out. In Luke 21, verse 29, he comes with the first son. And his... uh, Oh, sorry, not look. Matthew. He talked to the first one and he said, he answered and said, I will not. But he afterward, he regretted it and he went. Now, we are now given no reason why he said no. Could be a thousand different reasons. Because a lot of sons are like that there in the kingdom of God. They say no. And they may have very valid reasons, genuine reasons to say no. And because they may not be in a frame of mind at that time to go out and work. I may have so many. Moses said no. A lot of them said no in the Bible. So many of them said. Jeremiah said no. They all said no. And then later they said yes. And they went. And they were okay. So there could be so many reasons why somebody says no. But at some point, he reasoned through. He repented. And he went. In verse 30, you will see. The next person he came to the second and said likewise and he answered and said I go, sir, but he did not go. So he's very polite. Very polite. Okay, very polite, very humble outward. Yes, sir, but he did not go. <clears throat> so the kingdom of God among sons, there are two kinds of people, they call the talkers and the doers. Okay. And the uh, talkers are like Obama Smooth talkers. But what did you do in eight years? For your own community, you want to talk about your race? Nothing. Then there are doers like Trump. They are like, no. You ask him, any will he wear a mask? No. Okay. Will you do this? No. He will do. Ultimately, he will change his mind and do it. But if you look at what he has done, he's done a lot. done a lot. Okay, he's a doer. Okay, just an example. Okay, it's not politics, just an example. Okay. Two types of people. Now we are not talking now about people outside the kingdom. We are talking about people within the body of Christ. Two types of people. And then in verse 31, Jesus asks an important question. That's what is important. Which of the two Did the will of his father. The will of the father. Do. He didn't say it. Listen. He said which of the two. Did the will of the father. This is the key. To walking with God. To knowing God. To serving God. Is to do the will of the father. This is the key. See. See. It's not what we say, ultimately, it is what we do. And there is something which is called over there, the will of the father. And then there is the will of the person. The first one, when he was asked, he made a choice with his will, he said no. And sometime later, he changed his will, and he went and did it. The second one said yes. Maybe he said, he meant yes, when he said yes. But sometime later, I don't know what happened, he changed his mind. And he did not do what he said yes to. We need to realize the most important part of us as a person is not our intellect. It's not our intellect. It's not even our feelings. It's none of these. It's our will. Because it's with our will we choose. Reason and emotions may aid in that choice. In that choice, But even then, the reason and the emotions are not what is important. What is important is the will of the Father. It's a will. And lots of sons struggle with the will of the Father. In John 7 and verse 17, Jesus made a statement, probably one of the most important statements he makes to a son. If anyone wills to do his will, okay, Okay, first I have to will to do His will. Okay, that's the first thing I have to will to do my will. That's why we say every morning when you get up, first thing, thy name, thy kingdom, thy will.
1: Okay,
0: start with that commitment. Keep saying it, doesn't matter. Keep saying, keep saying, keep bending your knee. Take a knee to the will of God. Take a knee, keep doing it and you will realize it's that. Because you see, We will not know what is the life of God or the life of Christ unless we bend our will to his will. Okay. Even for his own son. You see, our pattern is not even John the Baptist. Our pattern is not anybody in the old covenant, though we learn from all of them, their walk of faith we learn. But our pattern is always Jesus Christ. He's the firstborn. He's the eldest. We look at the eldest brother and we follow his pattern. Even in... His pattern, it was the same thing. Hebrews chapter 5, sorry, 10, verse 5 and 7. 5 to 7 rather. Therefore, when he came into the world, he said, sacrifice and offering you did not desire. A body you have prepared for me. In burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin, you had no pleasure. Then I said, then I said, behold, I have come. Okay? To do your will. And in the volume of the book, it is written of me. He said, Father, first thing he says is, I will do your will. Okay. He did not come knowing the whole word. Please don't ever think that way. When he was born, he knew the entire word. Now the word became flesh and dwelt among us. He emptied himself of everything. But the first decision he makes before he steps from that realm into our realm is, behold, I come to do your will. After that, the father opened up the will for him day by day, year by year. It's progressive. Knowing the will of God is progressive. It's so not that he revealed everything to him. All the nitty gritties from the beginning he gave him. He said, no. Because I'm, I can do that to you. But then if I do that to you, then I have to do that to all my children. And they are not like you. If I were to show them all their path, they will all run away. They will all run away. So I am going to show it to them the way I do it with you. But the first step is that He will to do the will of the Father. And the sad part is there are so many sons who haven't come anywhere near there. They will say, I will, and they don't do it. Or they say, I will, And then in between, there is a long gap before they change their mind. And this is the key. People don't realize this is the key. That's what I said. The gospel is very simple. (laughs) Don't make it very, very complex. It's not very, very complex. Okay? Because the problem is, if we haven't bent our knee to the will of God, we may think we understand doctrine, and the doctrine we understand is not maybe not even the doctrine of Christ. That's that's one fundamental thing to understand the doctrine of Christ. To understand the doctrine of Christ is to bend your will to his will. Otherwise, you do not know. In Matthew 7, verses 21 to 23, Jesus makes this statement. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. The second guy was very, very polite, yes sir, but he didn't do it. So he says, there are a lot of people who will say, Lord, 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 Lordship itself means I am here to do your will. And many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have you not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, done many wonders in your name? Then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me who practice lawlessness. So what is he talking about? How can you do the works of God without doing the will of God? Strange, right? Everything they are doing are the works of God. Satan's kingdom is not divided. You cannot cast out demons other than without the name of Jesus Christ. The occult people don't cast out demons. They put one demon to put the other demon down. That's what they do. And you feel relief. It's like giving Tylenol or paracetamol for pain for cancer. You feel good. Pain is gone. Disease hasn't gone at all. You're still dying inside. okay? So he says how oh, it's possible. You know it's possible to do the works of God. Works of God. Not the work of God. The work of God is what he decided for you to do even before the foundation of the world was. But he can do the works of God. Anybody can do the works of God in the name of Jesus Christ. Any son can do it. That does not mean you fulfill the will of God. And that's what he is talking, he says. He says, I do not know you. The will of God has many parts, many, many parts. And he says, your workers, he says, I never knew you. Depart from me who practice lawlessness again. It's a contradiction. How can you not know them? And yet know they practice lawlessness. Okay. If he knows that practices lawlessness, that means he knows them. Okay? He knows them. So, remember the context in which Jesus was speaking the earlier parable. Matthew 21, verses 31 and 32. If you look at the context, specific context he is talking about, he's talking about what you call salvation. Which of the two did the will of the Father? They said to him the first. Assuredly, I say to you, the tax collectors and the harlots enter the kingdom of God before you. And then he brings John there. For John came to you in the way of righteousness. You did not believe him. But the tax collectors and harlots believed him. And when you saw it, you did not afterward relent or repent and believe in him. The question is, he's talking about salvation. So what is the will of God concerning salvation? Second Peter. Chapter 3, verse 9. It's the will of God concerning salvation. The Lord is not slack concerning His promise, as some count slackness. But is long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but all should come to repentance. This is the will of God concerning, that nobody should perish. That's God's desire. Nobody should be. Everybody should come to salvation. So when they were asked, in John chapter 6, verse 28 and 29, they asked. You know, these are all familiar portions, but there are a lot of people listening. For them, this is, will be new. Then they said to him, what shall we do that we may work the works of God? He sent two of his sons, asked two of his sons to go work in his vineyard. But you cannot work in the vineyard unless you have done the first work. Okay, the work of God has many works. This is the first work. They said to him, what shall we do that we may work the works of God? Jesus answered and said to them, this is the work of God that you believe in whom he sent. That's the first work. And this is the most important work that we believe in Jesus Christ and we keep believing. Keep believing. Keep believing. It's not enough that we believe the first time. And as we go farther and farther and farther and further, we'll have to believe more and more and more and more. And it gets darker and darker and darker and our belief, our entire belief system will be questioned. Everything will be questioned. You know, that's why there's so much confusion in the Christian world because people did not keep believing. Though there is a ministry called Keep Believing. They did not keep believing. Okay? The first work is that we believe in the work of Jesus Christ. The second son did not believe. He had faith, but he had no works. Okay? The first thing, Ramba, that no one should perish, but repent. Okay? The first thing we need to believe and to keep believing is we need to understand The power of repentance. Both sons goofed up. One said yes and did not go. The other said no. He said no. So both goofed. The difference is one repented of his actions and ultimately ended up doing the right thing. Meaning all of us will goof up. The first one remained in his disobedience. He never came back saying, I'm sorry. I deceived you. There was no change of heart. He probably f- continues feeling good. Because he said yes. Well, he does the opposite. Meaning his confession is right. And he listens to his confession over and over and said, But I said yes. I said yes. But there are no works that goes with the confession. There a lot of Christians, they only have a confession. They don't have the work. The other guy, his confession is wrong in the beginning. But somewhere in the middle, he changes his confession. He repents and accordingly changes his life. It is not sin that keeps us out of heaven. It's our failure to repent. That's why God says God does not want anybody to perish, but wants everyone to come to repentance. You see, the first guy said yes, but he never repented of his disobedience, of not doing to what he said yes. And the father wants to send us to the vineyard. All the sons to the vineyard. Why? Because it is the vineyard that changes us. It's a vineyard that changes us. You cannot have change without working in the father's vineyard. It's the very vineyard that will prove our sonship. It's a very vineyard. That's why after three years he comes and he says there's no fruit. Why is there no fruit? He does not go anywhere outside the vineyard to check for fruit. He did not go to any nation on the world and says, I don't see fruit. He only came to Israel. Because Israel was a son. The a son. You are a son. And the proof of the sonship is the fruit. It's a fruit of sonship. He says, you have to occupy. That's why there is work involved. Please remember, there is work involved. That's why the fifth book in the New Covenant is not called the words of the apostles, the hopes of the apostles, the plans and the aspirations of the apostles, or the intentions of the apostles. It is called the acts of the apostles. Okay. Hopes are good. Plans are good. Words are good. Aspirations and intentions are good. But acts have to follow it up. Because ultimately everybody will be judged by the will of God. Our works and the will of God. Did it tally? Like I said, knowing the will of God is progressive. You don't know it in one day. Even Jesus had to discover it as he obeyed and walked by faith. And that's where we goof up. We goof up in those things. We goof up. This is what I said. The simplicity of the gospel. Simplicity. Like now today is 13. 13 plus 11 is 23. 23 plus 60 is 73. Sorry, uh, 83. So we have been preaching non-stop for 83 days. And all the senior people who have been listening for 83 days have got so much of doctrine. Over and over again, we repeat over and like Jesus kept on repeating the same thing over and over and over until it becomes life. We have received so much. But the question is not how much we have heard, how much we have believed. And how much we have believed is represented into how much has it become practice, life, work. Let's look at a simple gospel to explain this further. A simple incident in Jesus' life. Luke chapter one. We looked at it earlier, also. Chapter four, verses one onwards. <coughs> Jesus being, oh, not Luke. One second. It's where he goes fishing. Not fishing with five. Yeah, not Luke. Look four. Come to look five. Yeah, look five. Not four. As it was, so it was, as the multitude pressed about him to hear the word of God. Okay? The whole multitude is pressing against him to hear the word of God. That he stood by the lake of gennesaret So he didn't want them to push him into the sea. Okay? Everybody is excited, eager to hear the word of God. And he saw two boats standing by the lake. There are two boats standing by the lake. But the fishermen had gone from them and were washing their nets. There are two boats. And verse 3, there's a crowd. There are two boats. And then verse 3, he got into one of the boats, which was Simon's. I don't know whether he knew or not. I don't know whether it is written Simon. I don't know. But the Holy Spirit supernaturally is leading him into a boat. What do you know? Whose boat? And asked him to put out a little from the land. And he sat down and taught the multitudes from the boat. Got into the boat. And he only asked one thing. push the boat a little. It's a very simple thing. Imagine this is the boat. He gets into the boat. And Simon must have turned around and looked. And he must have known. Okay. We are just assuming how it would be. Okay, Looked at this like, no. If I... Open a car door, there are five people standing over there. One looks down, I know that's his car, right? Simon must have looked at him and he must have said, okay? okay." We have not, we know, we know in John, Simon, Peter, all that. But we don't know the whole detail about it, okay? That he knew Simon, but he does not know it's Simon's boat, okay? All that, okay? So he calls Simon and says, (coughs) push it a little. And Simon doesn't realize the call of God rests upon a little thing like pushing a boat in the water. Such a small thing. Such a small thing. And we will not even, we will not even notice it when we read it. And sometimes we don't realize incredible and big things of God in our life. The call of God is connected with a small thing like pushing. Solis said to Simon. How such a small thing it is. And how so easy it is to neglect it. And then we keep saying, Lord, I've been praying, I've been fasting, but you never answer my prayer, Lord. I want to do the will of God. God said, I told you to push that boat, right? Push push that boat. No. Push that boat. No. A little thing. We don't realize, no." Every time I come over here, I tried it many times, then I realized it's not going to work, okay, because I have this incredible habit of, I hate things which are not straight. It's not straight, it's a little crooked. Like, you know, and if I see anything in my house out of place, I'll always go and straighten it out. You have to be very, very watchful as people. You're all leaders all leaders, because you've been in the kingdom walking with the Lord, don't ever ignore little things. Okay, Now, Roshan and Sami and Raj will notice when they are behind the camera. Because the camera picks it up and they realize, okay, basin is showing, okay, this thing, <laughs> but that's okay, that's behind the camera. But you also have to see through the eyes of God. He's got this perfect universe. Everything is in order in God's courts. He's not very much bothered about the world because it's reserved for fire. But he's incredibly interested in our lives. And he wants to bring order in our lives. Okay, so don't miss out little, little details when the Holy Spirit says, push this thing out of your life. You need to push this a little more farther. Okay, I like your prayer life, but you know, you need to push it a little more. And when you do that, a little later he will say, push it a little more deeper. We miss little, little things of the spirit and we miss out the big things that are waiting for us. It's not that God did not speak. We are waiting for this thunderclap and ignored the whisper. Little things of life. Little, little things of life. And we do not realize the kingdom of God is full of little, little steps. That's why God says, do not despise the day of small beginnings. It is a very small thing for Peter to do. What was that? Push the boat. And scripture is very clear. He was somewhere on the shore drying up the... God could have asked anybody there to push the boat. There's an entire crowd, hundreds of people there. Hundreds of people there. But you only ask one person. And one person, that person doesn't even realize his entire life destiny is connected with a very simple push the boat. And scripture says, he did it. And it's asked him to put out a little from the land. And he sat down, taught the multitudes from the boat. When he had stopped speaking, second instruction, very small. Okay, now this is very personal. Now he's going to take him much farther. First push has got nothing to do with Peter. It's got to do with Jesus. Got nothing to do with Peter. Push the button a little. What has got that to do with Peter? Nothing. It's got to do with Jesus. Just crowd is too many. Move a little. So I have a platform. From there I will sit and I will preach. The second one is got to do with Peter. The first thing God tells you may have nothing to do with you. It may be entirely with God. The second thing he tells you to do may have entirely with you. But because the first thing has nothing to do with us, we ignore it. Because we are so much interested in our prayer life. What do you have to tell about me? And God says nothing. First I will tell you something about me. Remember the sons of Zadok in Ezekiel? When the sons of Zadok who have remained faithful, when they come to me, first see that they don't wear anything that is woolen, that causes them to sweat, only linen cloths, meaning don't come with all your worries and all your problems and all before me. First come to me, meet my need. Then I will meet your need. You know, a lot of people go through entire life as sons and daughters of God, never fulfilling God's destiny because... Do they pray? Of course they pray. They come and cry out all the problems before God. Jesus said, this is how you need to pray. A Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, your name, your kingdom, your will. Ajka, roti, my bread also, please. And then immediately reverts back to his... Father, forgive us. Lead me not into temptation. Deliver me from evil. And he suddenly realized the whole prayer is one connected with his need Second one, small and connected with my material need. And the second thing is, Lord, keep me in this road so that I continue to hear from you and continue to fulfill your purpose. For that, I need to keep forgiving. I need to keep escaping temptation. I see that I don't mess up with evil so that I can continue and I can say, Thine is the kingdom, the power and the glory. Suddenly the prayer is completely different. Completely different. It's all about him and his kingdom. And we miss between step one and step two. Because step one, we are so, like, years are so big. Lord, I have a situation. I am going through this, Lord. God says, will you meet my need? Will you meet my need? And that's what he does. And as soon as he does that, Launch into the deep sea and let down your nets for a catch. He could have said, okay, now he hears something that is contrary to everything that he has learned. Verse five, he says, Master, we have toiled all night and caught nothing. Okay, contrary to everything he has learned. He knows this is not the time to fish. He also knows he has struggled the whole night. It's contrary to everything. And he can also say like, at the end of the day, I'm the fisherman. You are incredible rabbi. Yes, got no revelation. You are the son of God and all. You are incredible teacher. I accept. Maybe you are incredible carpenter too. But here, let me say, I am the fisherman. What if God tells you to do something That is absolutely contrary to your expertise. Your expertise in your field. Peter is sitting and playing on the keyboard. That is his expertise. He has practice and practice. I don't know. He has practice and practice and practice. He knows all the key. And the Holy Spirit says, play this note. That is absolutely off tune. Lord. Lord. I play that, it will be totally out of tune. But he knows God is telling him and suddenly in the middle of the song he plays something off tune. Somewhere somebody wakes up and repents. Because that off tune woke him up. It didn't fit in with his expertise at all. That is why scripture is talking about being sensitive to the Holy Spirit. It doesn't fit in with pattern at all. Okay. Does not fit in. Because most of the things the Holy Spirit says does not fit in with our received understanding of how things work. Okay. Received and we have a received understanding of how things work, and it is good. In normal ways, that is how it works. But a miracle is contrary to received understanding, and our God is the God of miracles. Absolutely, totally a God of miracles. Right? Absolutely, totally. If you turn with me to Acts chapter, if I am right, off the cuff, let me go to chapter 3 and verse 2. Got it? Yeah. Please, sir. Okay, give me a second. Yeah. What does it say? A certain man, lame from his mother's womb, was carried. Whom <laughs> they laid daily at the gate of the temple which is called beautiful. Right? Can that man be healed? Think about it. Which I received understanding of medical science. Look at chapter four verse twenty two. Had its trouble to the miracle. What is that? The man was over? It's not one or two years old. He was born from his mother's womb Blame. How many years? 40 plus. Who will ever accept? I mean, like, you know, you look at him and say says, Okay, don't try your trick out here. The Holy Spirit is saying that's the guy today. It's not one or two years. It's not three or four years. It's 40 plus years. Okay, 40 plus years. So, we have to, because we have expert, because we are well-educated. GDC is an English service, so well-educated. Because if you know English, you know more. Because otherwise, it's not your mother tongue, you wouldn't know English. And if you know English, in so many ways, you read more, you understand more, you listen more. But all that knowledge, does it become a block to hearing from God? That's what Peter said. Peter said, Lord, all night we labored. That's all okay. All our understanding is okay. And then he interjects it with a but. But at your word. But at your word. And everything God says, you will find it difficult in life. Everything. Usually what God says you find it difficult because it does not fit in with normal understanding. Everything. Everything. So the second step, he obeys, he receives a miracle. He is able to see beyond the miracle because we only see miracles. We don't see beyond the purpose of the miracle. So if you go to verse 8, you know, let's read from, yeah. When Simon Peter, okay, when they had done this, they caught a great number of fish and the net was breaking. They signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. So they came and filled both the boats so that they began to sink. So, so Net starts to tear, boat starts to sink, should be the happiest day of your life because you have a supernatural encounter with God. Ramaj, gospel according to John, calls every miracle a sign. Okay, and behind the sign is the signifier and Simon Peter saw it and fell down at Jesus' knees saying, depart from me for I am a sinful man. Okay, it's written. Simon saw it. I like, I like, I like Dr. Luke and all these writers of the gospel because they are hearing so well, so well. Because I would write Simon saw, Peter saw it and he fell down at Jesus' feet. Right? You would just go through it without even thinking, but well, that's not what they did Jesus' knees. You know why? Because he's sitting in the boat. <laughs> Have you ever sat in a boat where that thing is so low? You sit like this and actually you can't fall at somebody's feet, you can only fall at somebody's knees. That's how you know the Bible is absolutely authentic. There's no chair in that boat. Fishermen don't have high places in these boats and all. They have a little plank kind of thing over there. And Jesus is sitting like this. And he falls at his knees. He's sitting cross-legged. He falls at his knees. Otherwise, people will we will look at it and make it under the doctrine. Oh, he did not fall at his feet. He only fell at his knees. So he has more surrender to go through. No, no, no. That's because of the way it's a boat and the way he's sitting. And he sees beyond the sign. He sees beyond the miracle. No, people get healed, people get delivered, people get blessings, but they don't see beyond it. No, Beyond it. What does he... I mean, think about it. Why does he say, depart from me, for I am a sinful man? Why does he say that? When he's got the greatest catch of his life, why does he say that? He is ready for salvation. Because he realizes what has happened is a supernatural act of God. That everything that God does is an act of grace to unworthy people. We are not alive today because we are worthy to be alive. It's an act of grace. It's an act of grace. Okay. If you want more grace, you realize we are not worthy. Nobody deserves anything. Nobody deserves anything. Okay. And then you will see in verse 11. So when they had brought, 10 and 11, sorry. Okay, 10 and 11. So also were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, do not be afraid. From now on, you will catch men. Okay. He hears three different things from Jesus. And all three are completely different. Completely different. They are not. They are so different. First thing is, push the board. That is connected with Jesus. Second thing is connected with his profession. With a profession. What is that? What is it telling him? It doesn't matter how excellent you are in the field. God knows what you still don't know. You may be the best fisherman in Gennesaret. But you have no clue of God's fishing skills. Know what He knows. So it doesn't matter how wise and intelligent, you are always come and humble yourself before God and you will always learn something new from God. And The third thing is that the entire purpose of everything that God does in our lives, our response should be is Lord, I'm unworthy to receive anything. It's just an act of grace. And once we understand the act of grace, we'll hear the call of God. Because God can only call unworthy people. He cannot call worthy people. Worthy people are not called. They are went, not sent. Grammatically wrong, just to make it rhyme. (laughs) See, we miss all these things. And because of that, we miss the big picture. We ignore all these small, small things. Therefore, we never discover the actual will of God for our lives. And because if Peter had missed all these things, all it would have been written was, Jesus got into a boat, preached and left. Preached and left. That's all. And the rest of the story is in there. So it does not mean the first son did not do anything. Of course not. He said, I will do, but he did not do what his father told him. So he did whatever he wanted. Whatever he wanted. Because nobody is simply sitting in their lying in the bed and sleeping the whole day. There are some who do, but most people are busy with something else. 1 John chapter 2, 15, 16. If you are not busy with God, you are busy elsewhere. Do not love the world or the things in the world. Anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of the life is not in the Father, but is of the world. All that is there. But verse 17 is the key. But the world is passing away. You are so busy there. What you are busy is passing away. And all your works there also will pass away. The lust of it. But he who does the will of God abides forever. Why? Why? Because his works will follow him. Otherwise you will just end up there with nothing. (laughs) Works was burned up. It's not that you heard the will of God, who does the will of God. That's why I said the vineyard is so important. Because something about the vineyard is that the vineyard changes us and it also causes us to fulfil God's purpose. But always with little things. And we don't sometimes even realize that little things change our life. Oft-repeated examples. Genesis 37, 13. Before I came here, I had to record a message for another group in another country. I recorded it and I gave them this verse. Israel said to Joseph, Joseph, Are you not your brothers feeding the flock in Seashem? Come, I will send you to them. So he said to him, Here I am. What he had said? No. We know this, obeying this command. And he has 100 reasons not to obey. Perfect, legitimate reasons. Every one of the reasons will sound legit. And only one is... Reason to obey. What is that? His father wants it. He doesn't want it. Only one reason to obey. And 99 to disobey. 99 are his reasons connected with him. One reason connected with his father. His father wants to send him. The son and not the servants. And he's got hundreds of servants. He wants a son. It's such a small thing to say no. Because it also looks reasonable and logical to say no. Why should I go for this? You, you, have, you have plenty of people to do it, <laughs> who can probably do a better job than me. Why should I? could be usefully engaged in something else. And people do not even realize this command that is coming from God through Israel to Joseph has got nothing to do with looking after the welfare of his brothers. It is entirely connected with him and his destiny. Jesus could push the boat on himself. He doesn't need Peter to do that. We all have pushed boat. It's not very difficult. My grandfather's house is by one of the backwaters of Kerala. That's where his entire house was that. And when we were all childhood women, there were always boats there by that. It's not a big thing. Though I was scared, but I used to sit in the boat, in the water, and try to catch fish. It's not a difficult thing. Jesus was not telling Peter to push the boat. For Jesus, Peter's, Jesus' sake, it is for Peter's sake. Though the work is entirely beneficial for Jesus. Elijah could eat anywhere. But when he tells widow, bake a cake and give it to me. It's for her sake, not for his sake. And we sometimes miss this. We make so many reasonable excuses, very reasonable reasons, and we don't do it unless somebody else do it and realize we just missed our time. And then we have to wait like the... Solar eclipse coming once in 30 years. We have to wait for another 4 years, 5 years, 6 years when we are ready. By the time we have messed up so badly because we are now in the wrong place in the wrong time when we are supposed to be in another place fulfilling our destiny on the road to glory. We miss that completely and the sun has taken one full circle already. Again that moment comes and we are so desperate we are willing to do anything he says. Some people, not all people. Because some people are like Jonah. They are very successful when they disobey God. They go down, the boat is ready, the money is ready, birth is vacant, everything is ready. And the boat is ready to take off too. And there are no storms. What changed is the storm. What changed his destiny, journey, is the storm. But what if there are no storms? Where did God tell him to go? Where did he was going? Tarsus. And where was Apostle Paul from? Tarsus. What if Jonah had gone to Tarsus and become very successful as a preacher? He's not going to stop preaching because he's anyway a servant of God. And suddenly you have Jonah Ministries in Tarsus flourishing with a 10,000 member church of all the Jews who are in Tarsus. He doesn't even realize he's absolutely, totally out of the will of God. He's not doing the works of God. And he's waiting for the day of judgment, absolutely no aware. Because success has blinded his eyes. When he's supposed to go to Nineveh, of people he dislikes, people he doesn't want to go. Changed his life, was the storm. First Samuel 17, 17 and 18. Simple, negligible negligible thing. Jesse said to his son David, Take now for your brothers and ifah of this dried grain, these ten loaves, and run to your brothers at the camp. And carry these ten cheeses to the captain of their thousand and see how your brothers fare and bring back news of them. You are the anointed guy. You are the one who plays music for the king. Yeah, I mean, you got so many <laughs> chips on your shoulder if you want. <laughs> you got your flock too. Okay. But you do not, we do not realize this simple command, which has got nothing to do with David. This has got to do with his father. And with the God to do with the brothers, God to not do with him, is going to change his entire life. And there is something also. He obeys the command. But in that command, the father says something. What did he say in verse 17? How should you go? Run to your brothers at the camp. Right? He says, hurry. Go in haste. Rush. And sometimes you have to listen very carefully, okay? If you just look, uh, looks here and place marbles and throws this thing. This is how I used to do Every evening my father used to send me when I was small to the market to get something for him. And I would go at the river, walking down the river, okay? I go, throw a stone over there. Then I see this thing, go down over there and see if I can see a fish or this thing. Then I finally reach the market. So a 15-minute trip takes one and a half hours. Okay. okay. And couple of times I am going around like a little boy, swinging the bag. And what is in the bag hits a rock and it cracks. (laughs) Now I go there, home. What happened? No, I don't know whether I told the truth or lied. I fell down or something. He says, okay, go back again and get it and come, okay? But not David. David is told what? Run to your brothers at the camp. So, I am absolutely sure, knowing the way David is, he makes haste. And it is important he makes haste, because his adversary, Goliath, only comes in the morning and the evening to make the challenge. And the Bible is very clear, when he reaches there, is the time Goliath comes and makes his challenge. So, he has to make haste, so he doesn't miss his moment. Obey, and obey all the details. Otherwise he would have missed the moment when night is come, Goliath has gone back to his camp and Israel starts sitting by the campfire and eating. He would have no clue what's happening here. Could have missed this moment. Like Philip would have missed his text. Run, said the Holy Spirit and he ran. Right? He ran. Okay? So God is talking about, you know, he said, you see, <coughs> we worry about the big picture. Oh, no, we are talking about believers. Lord, I want to do your will. <laughs> he said, do you know my will is a series of steps? And you are missing those small steps. Therefore, you are missing the big one. Right? Big one. Daniel one eight. Another one. one eight or 1.5? One one eight eight. And Daniel purpose in his heart. It's a very strong... He's been taught well by his father, mother, rabbi, whatever in Jerusalem. Okay, He's been taught well. Now he's taken. Jerusalem is gone. Everything is broken down. He's taken as a prisoner, brought all the way to Babylon. Okay, And in all the things that is there in his mind, he's put in a position. And he realizes, I still have to obey God in a small thing. It's a very small thing. And nobody noticed it. It's in his heart. <laughs> it's in his heart. And God is a God who looks in the heart. <sighs> the thoughts of his heart is that, you know, this is a, oh, among all, I mean, 17, 18-year-old boy standing in line at the hostel mess. And food is like packed with food. Everything you can think about, Babylonian cuisine. <laughs> and we're sitting there and Imagine on the way when they were brought, they must have been hungry. They were not, just like military rations while marching. And these are slaves, first to the soldiers, rest to the king's men, and then finally to the slaves. And you must have been hungry. And then after the tests and all, you have been upgraded to the top university, and then this is your first day, first meal, and it is Like tonight we'll have many questions about pork and shrimp and all that, okay. Everything is there. Pork is there. Shrimp is there. Everything on the Babylonian table. Everything is there. (laughs) Okay. Wine is there. Okay. Everything is there. White wine, red wine, port wine. (laughs) Everything is there. (laughs) Everything is there. Wine is there. All kinds of meat. Everything is there. And think about it. One boy understanding the word of God from the book of Leviticus, just wants to obey the will of God in a small thing, I believe. There's something tugging in his heart, his conscience, the spirit of God is saying, not kosher, not for you, not for you. And we do not even realize, because he obeyed God in the smallest of things, daily activity, if a man eats without faith, he is condemned. Condemned. And he has this condemnation. He's looking all around and he says in this Babylonian table, there's only a few vegetables and boiled rice over there. Everything else is meat. Everything else is meat. It's like sometimes when you're called to a Muslim brother's banquet, do you have to search for vegetables? Even there is vegetable, it is mixed with meat. No? And that's the Babylonian cuisine over there. Such a small thing, right? Such a small thing. You do not realize this small thing would change his life, life of God's people, and the history of Israel. One small, and our history too. No Daniel, no book of Daniel. No book of Daniel, have of eschatology gone. Even the seven weeks thing, seven, nobody would be figured out with Revelation alone. You can't figure it out without Daniel's seven weeks. Seventy weeks. And that week where the, it cut off and rest, everything is over Daniel. You know why we have the entire book of Daniel? Because one boy decided to obey God in a small thing called Khana Pina. We have a book. And we miss these little things. Little, little things we miss. Now, we are not making any kosher laws in the New Covenant. I am talking about when God specifically speaks to you about little things. Little things. Why is this important? Because Jeremiah 29, verse 11 tells to God's children. For thus says the Lord, For I know the thoughts that I think towards you, says the Lord. Thoughts of peace, not of peace evil, to give you a future and a God says I have no wicked thoughts towards you. All my thoughts and plans for you are good and good only. Then why do we miss it? Why do we miss it? God has no bad plans for his children. Right? No father will have three sons and says this has to be a thief. This is a smuggler, this is to spell dope. He never plans like that, other than if he's a mafia boss. Mafia boss puts those because he sees success in his profession. No? God has only good plans. Our problem is this: The good plans of God is connected to the life of God. God does not have a plan outside a life. This is the difference. In the world, we have a career which is not part of our life. You can have a life and a career which are completely different. So most people are two people. They are one in the office, one at home. Daniel is one person. He's the same person at home and same person at office. Are you getting the picture? We have what is career. To rise up in the career, people will do anything. At home they are very sanctimonious, <coughs> but god doesn't have a life like that it 's always the same and our problem is second john chapter one verses seven to nine for many deceivers have gone out into the world who do not. Confess, Jesus Christ has coming in the flesh. This is a deceiver and an antichrist. Why do they say Jesus did not come into the flesh? Then we can make as many excuses as we want for our life. And just focus on our success in our career. This has got to do with gifts and talents. Okay, who transgresses and does not abide in the doctrine of Christ does not have God. So God and his doctrine are one. God and his doctrine are one. If you have the doctrine of Christ, you have God. If you have God, that means you have his doctrine. See, in colleges and higher places of learning in our universities and all, when we are doing our research and higher PG and PG plus and all, you can receive lots of doctrines without it becoming your life. And you could could get an A plus also on it. I got an A plus on something which I regret, which is Lacan's deconstruction. That's what's happening in U.S. The theory which a French philosopher called Lacan is what they're trying to dismantle the idea of America, deconstruct it and recreate it completely different. That's why they're going after every monument, everything. They're rewriting the history of U.S. It's called deconstruction. It did not happen on the streets first. It happened in the universities first. They worked this out, how to construct, deconstruct. That's what's happening, deconstruction change history completely. And you think it does not matter? Of course this matters. You know what? One generation later the history will be forgotten because you have a totalitarian regime that takes over like China. They have rewritten their history. A generation that has grown up has no clue about what China actually was once upon a time because they have no act. They control what you hear, what you see. They rewrite everything. Two generations later, people will think the current government dispensation that rules were the actual freedom fighters of India when actually they were not. They actually sided with the British. They never fought for our freedom, but today they are the champions. That's why they are rewriting history. So you can receive an ideology I thought it becoming your life, but God says, not in my kingdom. My doctrine and me are the same. He who abides in the doctrine of Christ has both the Father and the Son. It is the very life of, very life of, he who wills to do my will will know what my doctrine is. Meaning, if I don't will to do my will, I am living a life which is entirely different from the life of God. I don't have the doctrine of Christ. I'm still okay, because I am thinking exactly like in the world, you can live two different lives. But that's what we do in the world. Sitting there, listening, taking points out, understanding, oh, this is deconstruction, this is socialism, this is this thing. And writing papers and getting A+, and carrying the certificates around, says, I got a certificate. But is deconstruction your life? No. Did you get an A+, for it? Yes. And God says, I do not know you. But Lord, didn't we do all these works? Did I get an A plus for casting out demons? Didn't I get an A plus for healing? Didn't I get an A plus for preaching? God said, yes, but I don't know you. Because your life and your works are two different things. Two different things. This is the will of God. Okay, This is the will of God. So the first thing God says is, don't worry about works at all. Don't worry about it at all. What should we do to do the works of God? He says, believe. Believe in my work. Believe in my death. Believe in my resurrection. Believe in my life. Believe in that first.
1: The whole nine yards.
0: Believe in it all. The life, the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Believe in it. Believe. It's progressive. Yes, but believe it is progressive. That there is repentance. and There is repentance
1: all the way.
0: I will rethink the way I think. And I will rethink the way I work. As he keeps showing me his life. And I am willing to change. I have no issues with it, Lord. I am willing to change all the way. Change everything all the way. Because you know what? There is only one life. It's your life. In Matthew chapter 3, verse 1 and 2, John was sent with a very simple one-line message. In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea and saying, Repent, for the kingdom of God is ever at hand. Simple. Where is only one-line message he preached? If it was not the power of the Holy Spirit, he is the most boring preacher, because he never changes his sermon or sermon title. Title is the same. First Sunday message, repent, the kingdom of God is here. Second Sunday, the kingdom of God is here, repent.
1: Hmm?
0: Third Sunday, God's kingdom is here, repent. Message never changes. Response to the message, verse 6, right response to the message. And they were baptized by him in Jordan, confessing their sins. Not that he baptized. They confess their sins, and he baptized them. That's the right response to the message. Wrong response, seven and eight. But when he saw many Pharisees and Sadducees coming to his baptism, he said to them, brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Why did he say that to him? Because they were refu- refuses to confess. What did he say? We have nothing to confess, but we want to be baptized. He says, brood of vipers. We don't need to repent. You know, a lot of people, they have stopped repenting. They believe they are already perfect. There's no more repentance needed in our life. And the minute you come to that doctrine, you stop growing. You're finished. You're stuck there. You're not growing anymore. And the Pharisees and all, they want to be baptized. But they don't want to repent. Because we have, why don't they want to repent? Because there's nothing for us to repent. Verse 3, he's is given the commission. For this is the way who was spoken by the prophet Isaiah, saying, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Even he realizes he is not doing something which he cannot do. His repentance is only to prepare the way for Jesus' ministry. Now turn to Luke twenty-one thirty-two. Assuredly I say to you, this generation will by no means, oh, oh, not Luke 21. Matthew 21, 32. Matthew 21, 32. John came to you in the way of righteousness. You did not believe him. But the tax collectors and harlots believed him. The problem is, tax collectors and harlots and the Sadducees and the Pharisees, all of them wanted to be baptized. Only problem with the Sadducees and the Pharisees said, We have nothing to repent. They have no, they all have to repent because they're harlots anyway. See, everybody wants wants to enter into the kingdom of God. But everybody does not want to enter it God's way. That's the problem. Everybody wants to you will never meet a man who will say, When you die, do you want to go to hell? Very rarely you will meet a person like that. Either you will say, I don't believe in heaven and hell. But if there is a heaven and a hell, I want to go to heaven. This is the problem. You did not. Yes. He is Ramadhi's second son. He said no. And then he repented. And he went. Okay. The first one said, yes. Do you want to go to the kingdom of heaven? All the Pharisees said yes. But when it came to further instructions of God, they said, no. You mean we need to repent? No. We have nothing to repent of. You mean we need to believe only in the work of Jesus Christ? People today say, only in the work of Jesus Christ and all my good works are good for nothing? Yeah. I'll work out my own salvation. Luke 7.30 And the Pharisees and the lawyers rejected the will of God for themselves, not having been baptized by him. What did they reject? They rejected the will of God. The will of God is that no man should perish. The will of God is that everyone who receives his son becomes his son and would work in his vineyard and bring forth fruit. But they rejected the will of God not having been baptized by him. Why were they not baptized by him? Because they were not willing to meet the conditions for baptism. They wanted to be baptized, but we will not repent. We will not confess any sins. And they were stuck. And God never changed the order. Saul of Tarsus, of Pharisee, knocked off the high horse. What do you want me to do? Aste, aste, aste. Chill, 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 Paul. Chill. Till we told you what you should do. Go. Three days of repentance. Third day, Ananias comes. He gets baptized. And he knows the will of God. As he obeys the first part of the will of God. What is that? Repent and believe and be baptized. A lot of people are not baptized. Yesterday I had a call from a brother from, I I can't even remember who it is. I can't remember he says I know him but I don't know I can't remember older person he says I go to this particular church then later earlier I was in this church and there I got baptized And then another church said I should get baptized here I got baptized then I went to Israel on a tour and I got baptized in Jordan now pastor should I get baptized in a different way the simple people so confused. Nice people, they're not bad people. They're good people. and They're older people, struggling. Imagine you are 80 years old and you do not even know whether you are baptized or not. What is left for the will of God in your life? You are even cross step one. Everything lies after that. Everything. Turn with me to Acts chapter 9. Verse 17 and 18. And then he went his way, entered the house, laying his hands on him. He said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road as you came has sent me that you may receive your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately there fell from his eyes something like scales. He received his sight. At once he arose and was... After that, the story of Saul of Tarsus begins. The Pharisee who said... No. Repented. And he gets baptized. He gets filled with the Holy Spirit. And the will of God starts working out in his life. You know how simple it is? We make it so complex. We make it so It's not so complex. They all stumble at the first step. Simple thing of believing in the work of Jesus Christ alone all the days of your life. And believing in your baptism, always reckon yourself dead. The tax collector, the prostitute accepted the will of God. And they got it. Mark 3, 31-35, step 2. Then his brothers and his mother came standing outside. They sent to him, calling him. Who is this? Whose mother and brothers? Jesus' mother and his brothers. Oh, the Catholics go into great district to make his brothers into his cousins. Because they want to keep his mother perpetual virgin. You have to read their commentaries. I've read all their commentaries. Not all. Some of their commentaries are incredibly intelligent. Unbelievably intelligent. Biblical scholars. and I don't mention their names because I know I have some curious cats in my church who will immediately Google and start reading them and after two years will say, I now worship Mary. <laughs> they will go from the simplicity of faith. They are fantastic arguments, but when you compare it to the word of God, it falls apart. And when you don't know the word of God, you are compelled by arguments. The simplicity of the gospel. I've seen so many intelligent, smart people fall away from faith. Fall away from faith. Absolutely. They had simple faith. And they walked with God. Then they went to Bible college. The wrong Bible college. And they lost their faith. Because there they were taught so many things. Comparative religion. Imagine Jesus sitting with his 12 disciples and teaching them comparative religion. Come Peter. Today's lecture. What are you going to teach us, Rabbi? Today is about Buddhism. And do your project by Saturday on Buddhism. And next week, today is on Jainism. Just teach them the gospel and send them out. That's all. Because the kingdom of God overrules everything else. Everything else. It overrules. It's a power of God unto salvation. The problem is there are still tens and thousands of Christians who think you can convince people by the arguments. No, it's the power of God. It's the power of God under salvation. It's simplicity of the gospel. Simplicity of the gospel. Because you don't have to convince most people they are a sinner, because everybody knows. The only thing you have to tell them that: you are you a sinner? Yes. How do you expect to get away? No, with my good works. And you tell them, does that work in a criminal court? No. Then how do you expect to get away in that court? Does your good works have anything to do with the crime you did in the criminal court? No, you are charged on base of your crime. Your good works have now effect there. So what will not work here? You think it will work there with the perfect church? So what's the way out? Give me a solution, what's the way out? There's no way out. Somebody has to save me. It has to be a hand outside of me who can save me. And there is only one hand ever in human history that was stretched out like that. It was Christ. So you believed in that work of the Son of God alone. You repented. You baptized. Step two. His brothers and his mother came standing outside. They sent to him calling. They are outside. Send word inside, calling him. A multitude was sitting around him and they said to him, Look, your mother and your brothers are outside seeking you. But he answered them saying, Who is my mother or my brothers? He looked around in a circle at those who sat about him and said, Here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of God is my brother and my sister and mother. Now go back again. From where we began. And a multitude, verse 32, was sitting around him. What was he doing? Teaching. What did he say? Whoever does the will of God. So what is the will of God they were doing? They were learning. Sitting at his feet learning. Did you step two? All those who heard this word, who believed, he baptized, and they gathered steadfastly for the doctrine of the apostles. What is the will of God? Believe, repent, believe, be baptized, and learn. Sit down and learn how the kingdom of God. Lord, is not a waste of time. No, He says that's the will of God for you. That is the will of God for you. That is the will of God for you. He says, but you have gone through these steps. Now submit your will to the learning of the kingdom of God. Right? Simple things, very simple things. We miss these things. We say, no, it's okay, the sermon is too long. They never say, this is the will of God for me. Because they always already confuse the will of God with other things. They don't realize this is paramount. I'm not saying you should neglect the other things if you are a student. Okay? But the fact is that you cannot neglect this either. This is more important than that. That's what happened. We just, little by little by little. See, America's downfall did not happen in one day. It happened over a long period of time. One by one by one by little by little by little by little by by, They replaced. A nation that was filled on the foundation of God and his word. They replaced with one thing and one thing and one thing and one thing and one thing. Now the anarchist wants to take over the nation and throw God out completely. (laughs) They are fighting with the back against the wall. Do you think it happened in one day? No, one day. And people, Christians with crosses—you will see all of them, Christians with crosses, all marching without even realize you're getting sucked into something which you have no idea at all, absolutely no idea at all. I will tell you. Turn with me to Genesis chapter twelve. You will you do not know where all this comes from and the agenda behind it. Genesis chapter twelve. Verse 15 and 16. Genesis 12, verse 15 and 16. The princess of Pharaoh also saw her and commended her to Pharaoh. And the woman was taken to Pharaoh's house. He treated Abraham well for her sake. He had sheep, oxen, male donkeys, male and female servants, female donkeys, and camels. Right? So what does that tell you? Abraham was a slave owner. You want to change your name? The one who proc- emancipated you, his name also was Abraham Lincoln. But the original Abraham was a slave owner. There's something, a fact of history. You cannot change this. So you want to destroy every confederate symbol because you connected with slavery? So let's begin with the pyramids. It was built by slavery
1: every
0: ancient model, every monument you can see in this world was built by the work of slaves, including Taj Mahal. Want to destroy it? You want to rewrite history? Just live with it. That's your past. What is it going to do with you? What is it going to do with you? Can I change my history? No. India was ruled by the British for 300 years. And before that by the Mughals. And before that were a hundred princelings and kings and I don't know, it doesn't matter to me. It's part of Indian history. It's not my history. It's Indian history. You know what they're trying to do? Where will they stop? Because if you look at and start looking at, maybe the White House also was built by slaves. Slave labor must have been used. So what what i going to do. Burn down the White House? What a Buckingham Palace. Maybe you check your history. You'll we'll see a lot of slave labor was used. I'm not taking about African slaves, white slaves. Slavery was there in every nation, every color. So you cannot talk about black slavery alone. You have to talk about slavery itself. As And then you look at that. Every nation was enslaved by somebody. Jews were slaves. Egyptians were slaves. Whites were slaves. Chinese were slaves. Koreans where it slips. Indians where slips. So you have to look at it and it says, when will this stop? Hey, stop. Stop there. Stop there. Let's learn to live with history. At the end of the day, it's just history. It's not your life. That's not your life. At the end of the day, we are all slaves. Either a slave of sin or a slave of righteousness. We are all slaves. If you are a slave of sin, it does not matter what monument you break and how much safe spaces you create. You are still a slave. You are a slave of righteousness. It does not matter how many monuments stand. You are still free. Still free. Because so I will tell you why Why this. I know the agenda behind this. I saw this long time back. Through this, I saw this agenda coming. Because if you only tell part of the truth and not the whole truth, that slavery was something that was imposed upon the world by the white man, which is not true. Because the very word Slav comes from the white man. The "slaves" slave comes from Slav. Okay, white men were also slaves through the Muslim conquest and all the everybody and they preferred white slaves and white women were used as sex slaves. Okay, so slavery was always there in the world. But if we can take negate that part of the history and make it into a history about this white man enslaving the black man and then change the narrative further to this white Christian man enslaving the black man. And finally you can make Christianity as a white man's religion and banners from the public space. That is exactly what they will do. That's what they will do. What they will do. And then they will tell the black man, you are a Christian? Are you not ashamed? It's a white man's religion. Isn't that what they say here? So once I preached in an army camp full of colonels everything, and I told them, you know what? Religion never came from the West. West had no religion. They had only ideologies. Every religion came from the East. Middle East or East? No religion from the West. Never. Every religion came from the East. Whether it is Judaism, whether it is Christianity, whether it is Islam, whether it is Hinduism, whether it is Buddhism, whether it is Jainism, you name any religion, all religions are from the East. West has never produced a religion. Only ideologies. Be very, very careful what you subscribe to as Christians. White and black, brown, Chinese, whatever Christians you are in the world. Be very, very, because the agenda is different. The agenda is not against race. It is against Christ. The entire focus, hidden agenda behind this is against Christ. That is why... There are nice people who are caught in this with a genuine cause. But the radicals behind them, who use them, their agenda is anti-Christ. To take Christ out. So be very, very careful. Very, very, very careful. Otherwise we will miss the will of God. Miss the will of God. We will miss. We will get carried away by causes. And then one day wake up and realize the cause had nothing to do with the kingdom of God. Yes, should racial things and all be discussed and resolved? Yes, not at gunpoint. Not what you're talking about. Not about what you're talking about. Absolutely no. And I believe, I believe more than any nation on earth, the United States has fought actually for race and human freedom than any nation on earth. Any nation on earth. They really have. They really have. Okay, to break down that. Okay, they have done. Is there more to be done? Lots and more to be done. But it can be only done through the church, not through any other format. Because you cannot legislate racism away can make, create an atmosphere that is outside free. You can still be a racist inside. You cannot. Only God can do that. That's why Jesus never spoke against slavery or anything like that. He, none of the apostles. That if you are a slave, remain like that. If you are a free man, remain like that. Because he says the main thing that matters in this generation until Jesus comes is whether you are a slave inside or not. Second coming of Jesus Christ, we will have racial equality. Everything will be changed. And by the way, when Jesus comes a second time, you'll be ruling with a scepter of, so it's not defend the police, it will defend the police. I'm sorry, one thousand years, you will see how law and order works. I'm sorry, I'm speaking from scripture. It will no longer be defend the police, it will be defend the police. Absolutely. And there will be no crooked cops either. No crooked cops because saints will be ruling. And they will not have to use cuffs or your knee on your neck to restrain you. They will have Holy Ghost power. (laughs) While the people they rule will be flesh and blood, they won't be. They won't be. Okay, a different, so get used to this law and order. Get used to it. God's law and order. Get used to it. Because otherwise you will be very miserable in the next dispensation. Miserable people. If you come through the tribulation alive. Okay, People, I mean, I see pastors and this thing are all running around with causes and all. I said, do you really know what the agenda behind this is? Do you know Abraham was a slave owner? Isaac was? Jacob was? And everything that we see is one form or other of bonded slavery. Every corporation is putting in millions for uh, BLM, Black Lives Matter. And their lives matter. Absolutely lives. All lives matter. Black lives matter. But my question to all these companies is here I have a young man working for Google. Young man working. I am not even asking what his salary is. Okay. In U.S., hourly wage is minimum $12. If you work 8 hours a day, that's odd job. job. Okay, let's say odd job you're working in. 8 into 12? 96. 96 into 75? Let's say 100 into 70. How much do you make a day? No, I'm talking about into rupees. 7,000, right? You can make 7,000 rupees a day in America. That means you make around 35,000 five days. You think they pay 35,000 for 30 days here? So you're condoning slavery in the third world still. And you make them work 14 hours. So we should start a movement, Brown Lives Matter. That's a new form of slavery. <laughs> Will any of these corporations are moving out of China? Will they move back to US? No. They're moving to Philippines, Bangladesh. Where you can pay even cheaper there. You want to talk about slavery? We can talk about have a real discourse on slavery. It's all slavery. This is all bonded slavery. Talk about slavery because it's all about uh, equality in the workspace, right? Opportunities, workspace, salaries, everything, right? But the work that is being done from here, which you're benefiting, the quality of the work is not less because you keep the quality standards the same, right? So you're getting a quality work standard of your standard at a pittance of a salary. So you're still condoning slavery. That's why there is only one person whose fair employer, his name is God. And he tells his sons, go work in my vineyard. And you don't have to worry. Seek my kingdom and is my righteousness. Everything you needed for life, I will add. And one day when you run your race and finish successfully, you have no clue what is waiting for you. The rewards will last an eternity. And it is not even retirement benefits. These are work benefits because you will work even more there without a body that will never tire. Understand? God is telling the church, wake up. Wake up. Open your eyes. Do you see what is happening? See what is happening? Do you see what is happening? Okay, He says, do you see what is happening all around? And he says, in the process what happens is, you get distracted. You miss the will of God. We miss the will of God. We don't run out of causes. That's what David says. He just turns away. They'll not get distracted by the words of all my brothers and opal. Because there is a cause. You know what the cause? The cause is the name of my God is at stake here. His name, his kingdom is at stake. And we need to realize everything you hear, you always have to ask this. If I put my foot into this, how does the name of my God Get hallowed. How does it affect the kingdom of God? How does it affect the will of God in my life? And as I close Romans 8, 26 and 27, there's so much left, but... Likewise, the Spirit also helps in our weaknesses, for we do not even know what we should pray for as we ought. But the Spirit Himself makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. Now he who searches the heart knows what the mind of the spirit is because he makes intercession for the saints. According to. According to? You see, when you don't bend your will to the will of God, your prayer life is empty. because the spirit of God can never pray for you or through you. Simply because he is also surrendered to the will of God your prayer life, it doesn't matter how many hours you spend in your prayer closet. It is just babbling. The Spirit of God has to come into your prayer closet before it can become prayer. Why? The Holy Spirit only prays, makes intercession according to the will of God. Will of God. God. What did Jesus say? If you will to do my will, You will know what the life of Christ is, the doctrine of God is, doctrine of God. And we should not have a life apart from Christ, apart from Christ. And this is the gospel. This is the gospel that sets you free. And once you understand this gospel and then you partake of the life of Christ, you realize you are a free man and you cannot be enslaved again. So it doesn't matter which part of the world you live. The most oppressive nation on earth called North Korea or Iran. Or whether in the most free place, let us say, USA. It doesn't matter. You are free. For whom the sun sets free is free indeed. Your state of your life does not really matter because you are free. So Joseph was free in his father's house. He was free as a slave. He was free as a prisoner. And he was free as a prince. Because he was free inside. That's the first coming of Jesus Christ. to set us free inside. Second coming, he will set us also free outside. Let's pray. Father, this morning we just come to you. We just thank you. We just praise you. We just worship you, Lord. For this purpose, the Son of Man came. That he might destroy the works of the devil. The evil one. And all his works are primarily in our mind and not so much outside. And the purpose of the ministry of the word of God is to destroy the works of the devil in our minds. For as a man thinks, so is he. If he's free in his mind, he's free. If he's bound in his mind, it does not matter how rich he is. How healthy he is. He is still a slave of his passions. So I pray, Father, continuously set us free. That's how we go from glory to glory. That though we may be wasting away outside, inwardly, we are being transformed from
1: glory to glory.
0: For true freedom is inside. Commit this time into thy hands, O Lord, this very, very selected special time in human history. Let your people be free to worship you, to serve you, to walk with you. Let us be sons who obey the voice of the Father and serve him in his vineyard. Thank you, Lord, for in Jesus' name we pray. Amen, amen, amen.